best real estate advice I could possibly give you about this business and anybody else's. I wish I had the ability to pay for somebody else's experience in this whole niche. There was nobody out there to teach me. That's why I teach others. So learn from other people's mistakes, not your own. Best ever listeners, wouldn't it be nice to have a $2 million pre-approval line of credit? Ah, Just think about that. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be nice? How would that help you get more deals done? Because when you submit a pre-approval line of credit with your offer on a fix and flip house, do you think it's going to stand out more? I think so. And our friends at Fun That Flip, you know Fun That Flip, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show before many times. He's a friend of mine. He's also the owner of Fun That Flip and they're a sponsor of today's episode. What they're doing is they're giving a $2 million pre-approval line of credit up to $2 million pre-approval line of credit for qualified buyers. And my gosh, in this competitive buying market, sellers prefer to sell to buyers who have a high likelihood of closing, right? Makes sense. Well, use this pre-approval line of credit from Fund That Flip, and that will signal to the seller that you're the real deal and you'll be able to close quickly. It's free. All you got to do is go to fundthatflip.com. You've got to qualify that you have prior experience and there's a process, but it's free and you need to go to fundthatflip.com to get the pre-approval line of credit because this is a way that's going to help your short-term rehab loan happen because you're going to get the deal for the property where you need the short-term rehab loan. Go to fundthatflip.com and get that pre-approval line of credit for up to $2 million. Best ever listeners, hello. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out the fluff and we only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Jay Papazan, the co-author of The One Thing with Gary Keller, and many other best ever guests. And with us today, we've got an expert in not only real estate investing, but specifically residential assisted living investing. And we're going to talk to him all about that. How you doing, Gene Gorino? I'm good, Joe. Very excited to be here. Nice to have you on the show, and uh, I'm very excited that you're here, and I'm looking forward to diving in a little bit about Gene before we do dive in. He's the president of Residential Assisted Living Academy, which is a training organization focused on, well, guess what? Residential Assisted Living Investing. He speaks all over about this. He's got 30 years of experience in real estate investing. He's the author of one, two, three, four books, and he's based in Phoenix, Arizona. You can say hi to him at his company's website, which is linked in the show notes page, so you can just click through right there. With that being said, Gene, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. I started when I was 18 years old with my first deal, No Money Down. No Money Down because I didn't have any money, didn't even know what credit was. And it all started because I was renting somebody else's building, and as a landlord, they were terrible, and it was either shut down the business or got to buy something. So we bought the property and that was the first deal led to the second, third. And here I am 30 plus years later and in real estate and in business doing just one thing. And that's residential assisted living. Why residential assisted living? You know, we talk about the mega trend of the baby boomers and I'm in that category here, but the 77 million baby boomers, 10,000 people a day turning 65 and 4,000 a day turning 85 
The baby boomers are only 70 years old on the front end right now. I'm not there yet. I'm on the tail end, but the front end is 70. They're not in assisted living, but their parents are. The parents are 80, 90 years old. They're in assisted living. And what's happening is this massive bubble that moves our economy for the last 50, 60 years, the baby boomers, they're now coming into their own and they're going to be moving into senior housing in droves. It's a massive opportunity. It's what I call the mega trend for the next 20 years. So as a real estate investor, knowing that logic, the best ever listener, that makes a lot of sense. How do they go about investing in assisted living? Sure. You know, the average investor, I think a lot of us started with fix and flip. You buy a home, you fix it up, you sell it. That's awesome. It's fun. But then you're unemployed. You got to go do it again. So in some parts of the country right now, it's almost impossible to do it because there's so many people out buying. In some areas, it's still fantastic. So let's go to the next one, buy and hold. If you take a single family home and rent it out for a year to a family, that's great. But what happens in year two and three? If they don't stay, we got a month of downtime, turnover costs, repairs, and so on. At best, you're making $100 or $200 a month in positive cash flow after all real expenses. Take that same home or better home. You can't cash flow with a, a rental to a family. And if you could turn that into an assisted living facility, which you can, that's what I show you how to do, then you're going to be able to make $5,000, $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 after all expenses, including the real estate, everything per month. Now, if you could take that same house, literally you only need one house to pay all of your bills. Okay. What's the last assisted living facility that you personally bought? Actually, I'm sitting right now in one that I'm about to convert. This one here is a home in Gilbert, Arizona. And in this home itself, it's actually quite large. It's about 6,400 square feet, which is bigger than most houses, right? But it's only got three bedrooms, four and a half baths. But the way it's designed, it's perfect for what we do. It's virtually all on one level. We're going to divide some of the bigger rooms into two and three rooms. The master bedroom is actually going to become five bedrooms. The master closet is going to become a bedroom. It's that big. So that home itself, when we're done, we'll have 10 beds. So you can do that in five bedrooms, two people in a room, or 10 private individual rooms. But 10 people will be licensed for 10. Each one of those people will be paying somewhere between $4,000 and $6,000 per month to live here in this home. All of their expenses are included from housekeeping to food to room and board, care, and the whole bit. But out of that four to six thousand, let's call it five thousand per person, fifty thousand gross income potential for this business. Let's say there's thirty thousand dollars in expenses, including the real estate, the care, the food, and everything. That means the net on this property will be fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a month. So this is one that I didn't buy the business. I bought the real estate, converting it, starting the business. That's how I do it. Okay. If someone comes across a house that's sixty four hundred square feet has five bedrooms and five baths, really uh, straightforward to convert because they're basically about to create a business from a house, which some would say, well, you're already in a business if you've got an investment property. But this is more a real business versus just kind of something that's more passive with a third-party management company. How do you build this business? I don't want to blow people away either. Those of you who are listening right now, some of you are thinking, I don't have 6,400 square foot houses in my area. You can do it in a 1,500 square foot house, okay? So I just want you to know, this is being done all over the country right now. People are taking small houses, large houses, and everything in between, converting them into these assisted living facilities. So let me walk you through the process, Joe, so you've got it. You have a house, 
number one is where is it located? If it's not located in the right place, forget about it. It's not going to work. Location is critical to doing this. It's got to be in the neighborhood where you have people who can pay for care for mom and dad. So I don't want to be in the outskirts, don't want to be out of town, don't want to be an hour outside in the woods. That's visiting grandma once a year over the river through the woods is great. But seeing mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, you want to be conveniently located. I want to be located near people who have money because the 50, 60-year-old today, their parents are 70, 80, 90 years old. They're the ones who are living in the assisted living. So I want to be in the neighborhood, upper middle class, upper middle income, in a home, and it's going to be a residential setting. So location is critical. There is a license required, and it is a business that you're operating outside of the home. And the questions that come up to everybody, Joe, what about the HOA? What about running a business out of a home? What about liability? I got it. We answer all of those. But I want you to understand it's residential. It's not commercial. So you can get residential financing for it. Once it's converted, and when I say converted, grab bars, wide doors, smooth floors, it's nothing extensive. It's still a home. It's still a residence, like I was describing to you before. One bedroom becomes two. We add bathrooms, maybe. So the nicer the home, the better. The better the location, the better. That means the more I can charge. So once I've got that home purchased or rented, you can rent it as well, converted so it's now easily used safety-wise for seniors, then I need to get the staff. The staff is managers, caregivers, and so on. And then the operation of the business is the ongoing. Now, some of your listeners right now are thinking, I don't want to be in business. I just want to own the real estate. Perfect. You own the real estate, lease it to somebody who's going to operate the business. If they can pay you up to twice the fair market rent and they want a long-term lease with low-impact tenants, that's a beautiful thing. So why would somebody pay up to twice the fair market rent? I know I'm hitting a lot of areas, but these are the questions people have. Why would somebody be willing to pay you up to twice the fair market rent? Because they're going to operate this business and make $10,000 a month in profit even after paying you twice the fair market rent. Why do they want a five-year lease instead of a one-year lease? Because they're starting and operating a business that's going to make them a lot of money for a long time. They don't want to get booted out. So long-term, low-impact tenant, the person who is the tenant, it's actually typically an LLC, an entity that owns and operates the business, but the person living in the home, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, they're not damaging the house. They're not raising Rottweilers in the back bedroom. They're not dissecting motorcycles in the family room. The biggest damage is rocking their chair back into the wall and putting a hole in the sheetrock, right? So that's about it. But what they pay, the reason why they pay it, the average is $3,600 per month for a private room nationwide. But $3,600 for an average home, you wouldn't want to live in an average home. I mean, I'm in this business on a day-to-day basis. You and I do not want to live in an average home. You want to live in an above average home. State regulations, typically it's 100 square feet of bedroom space for a private room. That's a 10 by 10 room. That's a small child's room. I'm going to suggest you do it bigger. Some states actually say you need 35 square feet of other house space. So I could have five bedrooms, two people in a room, and I could have 1,200 square feet, two bathrooms, five bedrooms, have 10 people living there, and I can do this, but I don't teach it that way. What I teach you to do is the upper middle class, not the top end, definitely not the bottom end. When you do it that way, the cash flow is much better. The business is the same. Then you can decide, do I want to just own the real estate? Do I want to just operate the business or do as I do, which is own the real estate and operate the business? Got it. So a couple follow-up questions. And before I ask those follow-up questions, really quickly, just so I have the macro level approach, you locate it, you buy it, you license it, you convert it, you staff it, and then you operate it? 
That's what I do, yes. Okay, so that's the macro level. Now, getting into some of the, the details here, on the licensing, since you're getting residential financing, does that go against loan covenants or documents that you've signed? Here's the deal. If you buy a house, residential house, non-owner occupied, right, you're renting it out. Truly, that's what you're doing. You're renting it out, whether it be to your own LLC, operating the business itself. It's still a residential house. You can't cut it any differently. You're not going to get a commercial loan for it. It's a residential loan. You'd have to read the documents and so on. I'm not suggesting you do owner-occupied unless you're going to live in the house yourself, which I don't recommend that you do from a business perspective. But you're fine. It's not owner-occupied. So once you can find a house, an upper middle class and residential setting, like you said, then what should you do to test out the model before you actually buy it? For someone who's looking at you know a house and the numbers don't work for a single tenant and they're banking on doing this business plan, how do they mitigate that risk before they buy it? The first thing I teach people is location. So the first thing you want to do is we don't look for a house, we look for the right location. So let's just start with, we're in the state of Ohio. We're going to be in Columbus. We're going to be in this neighborhood in Columbus. So we want to get down to the nitty gritty. Here's the neighborhood I want to be in. The next step now is to go to zoning and find out what can I do, what can I do. From the state level, there's going to be a limit to how many people you can have in the house for seniors. There's a difference, and I need to make sure, Joe, that everybody understands this. Because of the Fair Housing Act, that's a federal regulation, they can't deny grandma living in the house. Now, you and I both know there's communities that have limits of four unrelated adults, six unrelated adults. That's actually illegal, according to the Fair Housing Act. If you want to challenge it, you will win. I'm not bothering to go through that. I'm just pointing that out. If you're in a community that says no more than four unrelated adults, typically that's near a university. They don't want the animal house with John Belushi, right? When it comes to the seniors, different story. The state itself will have a limit. Arizona, the limit is 10 people in a single family residence. Again, I could fight them on the Fair Housing Act and I'll win, but I'm not going to do it. Texas, you can have up to 16. Other states, it's six. Other states, it's 25. So it just depends on the state. So you need to know the state rules. Then in that city that you're in, that community you're in, you need to find out what is the zoning requirements there. So for instance, the house I'm sitting in literally right now, when I looked for this location, the first thing I did was went right to City Hall and the town offices and go there and say, what are the rules for assisted living in a residential setting? Now, the wording, how you say that, what I just said, I, that made it sound so simple is critically important because if you go to your zoning board, if you go to your city hall and say, I want to do an assisted living facility in the middle of this neighborhood, they're going to say, no way you can't do that because in some states, assisted living facility means a large commercial complex. You can't do it in a residential setting. In some states, they call what we do residential assisted living. Some call it personal care homes. Some call it assisted living residents. Some do call it assisted living facilities. The point is the words are important. So once we know what words to say in that state, we go and ask, how many can I have? Then it is, what is the documentation? What's the paperwork? So I was literally there yesterday filling in the paperwork, which is one page saying, here's the address. I'm going to do this business. Then in this one town, Gilbert, Arizona, they actually have a, what I'm going to call a density limit. So they say, you can't have another home like this within a thousand feet. So they take the address and they draw a circle. All right, there's no other homes within a thousand feet. You can now do it. I don't need to ask the neighbors. I don't need to put up a sign. Don't need to send out letters. 
It's fill in this piece of paper. You can do it. So now nobody else can do it within a thousand feet of my house here because I effectively have taken it off the market, reserved it in my name. Again, neighbors next door don't know. And some people are thinking, but they're going to be all upset. I'm the best neighbor in town. Who are my residents? They're not up till midnight with loud parties and music and racing down the street. They're in bed by 715. The house looks awesome on the outside. You have somebody taking care of it. Curb appeal is very important to my business, what I do. So I'm the best neighbor in town. If the neighbors have any issues, come on in and check it out. See what it is. What they always say is the same thing, Joe. I wish I knew about this. My parents needed this. I took them across town, paid twice as much. It's right next door. They're incredibly happy. I do a whole three-day training on this, so I've got so much I want to share with your listeners here. But you can do it in a single-family home. You've got to know what the rules are in your area, so location is critical. Find out what the zoning is, what the rules are. Then you go look for the house. What I'm looking for in the house, and let me just jump right there because people want to know, single level is better than a two or three level. You can do it with two or three levels. I have plenty of students who do, but if they're going to go up and down the stairs, they may need help. So that would be a chair lift, one of those chairs that glides up the stairway. It's not that expensive. Or an elevator. I have students with four-story buildings in New Jersey where they installed an elevator in the home. There's plenty of beautiful homes with elevators right now anyway. But if it's a multi-story home and if they are going to go up and down those stairs, they may need help. The next thing is more bathrooms is better. Two bathrooms is pretty much the minimum. In most states, it's eight people per bathroom. So if you have 10 people in the home, you got to have at least two bathrooms. Not a big issue. But if I have more bathrooms, even half baths, then I can charge more per resident. So shared room might be 3000 A private room might be 4000 Private room with a shared bath might be 4500 Private room with a private bath might be 5000 and the master suite might be 6000 So in a home, you might have somebody paying six grand on the top end and three grand on the low end. Average it out, it's $4,500 per person times 10 people. Great information. I love that you went right into what we're looking for for the house. When you take a look at the business, as you mentioned earlier, if you don't want to find the staff and you want to find someone to operate the business and to lease it from you, mm-hmm. how do you find that person? Easier said than done. You're not just going to put it out in Craigslist, right? It's not like everybody out there knows how to operate these or wants to rent your home. So that's a little bit different. If you're going to just do this generically, you don't have any experience in this business, that's going to be harder for you to find. One suggestion I'd have for you is find the people that operate homes now in your area and approach them and say, hey, if I were to buy a home so you can open up a second or third or fifth location, would you be interested? And where do you want that home? So go ahead and go shopping for them. Buy the home and lease it to them. If they're savvy, they're going to say, well, I'll just buy my own home. But there's plenty of people out there who don't know how to buy real estate for whatever reason. Don't have the credit, the cash, whatever. They'd rather lease it from you. So That's one way. If you attend our class, obviously there's some people in the class that are sitting there saying, I just want to own the real estate. Others are saying, I just want to operate the business. That's a match made right there in the classroom. They just meet each other and say, let's partner together. Uh, Really, there's not a whole lot in between that because, again, you're not just going to find it somebody on Craigslist who's an operator. Yeah, and you wouldn't want to find that, I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) Good point there, too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It makes a lot of sense. Gene, what's your best real estate investing advice ever as it relates to this topic? As it relates to this topic, (laughs) learn from other people's mistakes. 
best real estate advice I could possibly give you about this business and anybody else's. I wish I had the ability to pay for somebody else's experience in this whole niche. There was nobody out there to teach me. That's why I teach others. So learn from other people's mistakes, not your own. What's the biggest mistake that you've made so far? Now, biggest mistake in this business specifically? Sure. Sure. In this business specifically would be, boy, I've done a lot of things right, I have to say. But there's the things that I've done and made mistakes on uh, would be starting too small. There you go. Starting too small because my thought was I want to get my toe in the water. Let me start with a lower level property, one that is it's not as expensive. It's not as big of a deal. Let me start there to cut my teeth. And here's the deal. If you're going to get in, get in. If you're going to go down the river in a boat, you may as well be in the best boat you can possibly get to have a safe, secure ride. My problem with doing the smaller, less expensive one is that I limited myself on the income. The expenses are all pretty much the same. That's what I've learned as I've gotten nicer and nicer homes. The expenses, the caregivers, cost the same in a beautiful home and a crappy home. So you may as well be in the best one you can. You get the most income and your expenses are virtually the same. So don't start too small. How much do caregivers cost in Phoenix? Nationwide, it's about $10 an hour. These are not doctors. They're not nurses. They're trained in what they do. But really, are they? Question mark in my voice because... I was in Florida last week. The qualifications to be a caregiver in an assisted living facility, it could be Brookdale on the big end or your home on the small end, one hour of training within the first 30 days. That's it. Fogamere, one hour of training within the first 30 days. Then you do need an additional three hours of training within 30 days on site on the job. That's nuts. In Arizona, it's 102 hours of classroom training and experience to become a certified caregiver. Fingerprint test, background check, TB test, the whole rest of it. So $10 an hour is pretty much the going rate, and it could be less than that. It could be more than that. But don't pay them too little, but these are not mercenaries. They love what they do. They love the job. They love what they do, and that's what you want. What are the numbers on your first assisted living deal, and what year was that done? About three and a half years ago was the first deal. I bought an existing home with a business in it, paid $500,000 for the home and the business. The real estate was worth about four fifty, dollars so I paid fifty dollars for the business. I negotiated it that way because the business was actually worth a lot more than that. But the day I got into it, when I got into it, the way they were paying people, which was not proper, and the people they had hired, which were not proper either, and they were netting five to $10,000 a month, and I did the deal no money down. I had private lenders for the whole thing, including the business, and additional money. And that's pretty much what I teach and what I do is no money down deals. There's money involved. It's just not mine. So I put the deal together, operate the business, but it's other people's money, typically with private lenders. That's what I did there. So again, it was netting five to $10,000, and that's about where it is today. Although I've increased the income, and I've also increased the expenses by paying caregivers more, better food, and so on. But here's the deal. It's the same effort to make five or 10 as it is in another home where you're making 15 or 20. So that's why I was saying don't go too small. Is the private lender a group of people or a hard money lender? What's their background? I've used hard money lenders in the past. I don't have a problem with that. It's a short-term loan. It's a cheap partner is the way to think of it. But get them out of there as best you can. But when I say private money, it's typically individuals. I don't like doing syndications where it's 100 people and everybody puts in 25000 You can certainly do it that way. I have no problem with that. It's just I'd rather deal with one person than 101. 
So private lenders who are lending money, some are secured on the real estate, some are in second position on the real estate and first position on the business, and others have the risky money where it's all based on the cash flow and if the business fails, they lose. So each one gets paid for their risk capital in that. So you found a private individual to lend you the purchase price for this one deal, $500,000. Is that right? No, actually, I had a first lender for three hundred and a second lender for two hundred and sixteen in two different loans, so staggered interest rate. And so the first was secured by the real estate. The real estate appraised for four fifty. They lent three hundred. They're good. The second, you've got some equity in the real estate. The rest is on the business and on so on. But the purchase price was five hundred total, and I ended up borrowing five hundred and sixteen. I also received 25000 credit at the closing between prepaid rent and security deposits. So that left me with some good cash in the bank, and you should always have that. There's something else. I don't know if you asked this, but what's one of the mistakes that people make or one of the lessons you should learn? Undercapitalization. I've been in business now for 33 plus years with almost two dozen different businesses. And undercapitalization, you need to know where your money is and where it's coming from if you need it. And how much did it cash flow first six months on average a month? Five to 7,000 for the first months after all expenses. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I thought that was it. Let's go for it. <laughs> all right, here we go. Faster. Round two of the best ever lightning round. This time officially, first a quick word from our best ever partners. Go check out Mass Venture, which is Texas's first approved equity crowdfunding platform which means that all Texas residents can now invest in local real estate projects. All Texas residents can now invest in real estate projects. That's that's a big distinction. Usually it's just accredited investors. Nathan Roach, he's been a guest on the, the show, episode 225. Go listen to that if you want to learn more about his business as well as here's best ever advice and go to Mass Venture, M-A-S-S-V-E-N-T-U-R-E to check out their company. Best ever book you've read. Best ever book I've read, Unlimited Selling Power by Dr. Donald Moyne. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? Wow. Having kids, can't be selfish, got to give 110%. It takes longer to teach than it does to do it for them, but it's worth it in the end. Best ever deal you've done? Taking my family on vacation, family vacations. When I say deal, I know you're going for a different thing, but... My best investment, family vacations. Best ever way you like to give back? Anonymously. Buying hearing aids for somebody that needs them. Putting cash in a paper bag, sticking it in their door because they can't pay the mortgage. So anonymously giving cash back, people who need it because money is easy to make. And there's other people that just, they'll never figure it out. But if you can have it and you can bless them with it, it's a beautiful thing. Why do you do it anonymously? Because I don't need their thanks. I don't need their thank you so much and then them feeling indebted. I'd rather them think I'm going to pay it forward someday. What's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? Well, the best place is ralacademy.com. So Residential Assisted Living Academy, ralacademy.com. Or you can just call us at 480-704-3065. 480-704-3065. Well, Gene, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice and your business model and strategy for assisted living investing and getting into from a macro level, the approach, which is you first, it's location, location, 
looking for the upper middle class and residential setting, going to identify the requirements and the rules for, as you said, what are the rules for assisted living in a residential setting, say it that way, as well as the documentation and paperwork required. Then buying a property in that area, once you identify all the intricacies of that market, make sure it's licensed, which we didn't really talk about a lot, but we only have so much time to talk. And you explained a lot of this from a macro level already, which is great. Converting it, staffing it, and operating it. Love this process. Really interesting stuff. Business model that isn't talked about a lot. And that's a good thing for you. That's for sure. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. Go check out Mass Venture, which is Texas's first approved equity crowdfunding platform, which means that all Texas residents can now invest in local real estate projects. All Texas residents can now invest in real estate projects. That's that's a big distinction. Usually it's just accredited investors. Nathan wrote, she's been a guest on the, the show, episode 225. Go listen to that if you want to learn more about his business as well as here's best ever advice and go to Mass Venture, M-A-S-S-V-E-N-T-U-R-E to check out their company.